Good morning. Love you too. Um, how are we? I've been a wreck this morning, so I'm going to try to just hold it together. Um, God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we get to come to you as sons and daughters. God, we thank you for your work that is a family work, for the ways that you made it possible through Jesus, that we can know you intimately, that we can be close with you, that we can walk with you with nothing in between. So I just thank you, God, for what you want to do today. I'm so confident that you've given me this word for a purpose to deliver to your sons and daughters today. So would your word complete what it's been set out to do? Would you get all glory and honor? And would we have fun with you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to try to not breathe too heavy in this thing. Um, hi, I am Megan. For those that I have not gotten to meet yet, scoot this back a little bit. Uh, my name is Megan Bissonette. I am normally with the little ones on Sunday mornings. Uh, they're... They teach me a lot. Um, they're amazing. So I just want to say, parents, you guys are doing awesome jobs with your kids. They're incredible. Um, but yeah, so my name is Ms. Megan Bissonette, and I am married to that hunk right over there named Austin. <laughs> um, he pursued me into a covenant, which is part of the message, so I just had to throw that out there a little bit. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to leadership. Thank you guys just for this opportunity. I want to honor you guys. Thank you for the yes and your guys' heart to chase after the Lord and what he's called you to do uh, through this church. Thank you for equipping us and helping us step out of our comfort zone and to be all that God has called us to be. So I just wanted to honor you guys and say just thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Starting out with a declaration. Today is a day of freedom. Today is a day of healing and deliverance in Jesus' name. That we're going to meet with him today, and we're going to have fun. Okay. So the title of this message, if I was to give it a title, is called Embracing Sonship, Freedom from Shame and Striving. So those are the two things we're going to look at. Um, the main passage is going to be Luke 15, the prodigal son, familiar for those church folk. Has anyone, is anyone not familiar with that? Sweet, it's totally okay if you're not. Um, but we're going to look at that. And so one thing we do with kids is I try to, well, we try to prepare them for what we're going to do next. It just helps them get ready for it. Like if we're getting ready to go outside, okay, guys, we're getting ready to go outside. We're going to line up. We're going to be careful. Um, so in preparing you guys for what we're going to do, I wanted to let you know where we're going today. So we're going to look at embracing the heart of the Father. We're going to look at resting in our identity as sons and daughters. And we're going to unpack two tactics that the enemy uses to keep us in bondage as slaves and prevent us from walking in freedom. So the goal is to gain clarity in the text about this topic, to get equipped to stand against accusation, and to rest in the heart of the Father. Everybody just take a deep breath. We're going to rest in the heart of the Father. Okay. 
I think we'll have a slide. We are gonna jump into, you guys can look on the screen or pull it up. We're gonna go through a lot of scripture today. I'll try to slow down and say it so you guys can write it if you want to. Um, but this one, since it's lengthy, we're gonna put it up. So it is the parable of the lost son or sons, I like to call it, in Luke 15, one through 32. So before we jump in, a little bit of context. Also with Kids Church, you'll hear me make a couple references. When we look at the word, we try to teach them what it meant then, what God was saying, and what it means now, so what we can get out of it now. Um, So we're gonna do that in this. So context, what it meant then, This is Jesus's audience, so he's sitting with the tax collectors, he's sitting with the sinners, and they're eating together. So that's the the stage of this. Um, And then the Pharisees come and they mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we have Jesus sitting with tax collectors, sitting with sinners, this type of group of people, as well as the Pharisees and the scribes, very church, religious group, very unchurched, living their own life, doing their own thing group. Um, So as Jesus is sharing this parable, which is meant to teach, that's who he's talking to. Okay, we're going to read it. Um, Well, so that's what it meant then, and now what the Lord has put on my heart is for us today a layer of meaning of sonship with the scripture. So I wanted to add that in there. Okay, follow along. Verse, there we go, 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Listen to this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So you see the son, I'll break it down a little bit, um, try to add some points. But you see the son now saying he's no longer worthy of that role to be a son. That he's willing to just become a servant, a slave in his father's house. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and here's his father's response, filled with compassion. How many times do we see that in scripture with Jesus? Before he does something, he's filled with compassion. That is our father's heart for us. Filled with compassion. For he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But I like the father because he didn't even respond to that at all. He just said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his fingers, finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So that's so beautiful. The father, filled with compassion, ran to him, embraced him, brought him close. He said, no, you are my son. This is where you belong, with me in this place, and clothed him. I'm not going to break down all those things, but if you guys want to do a really cool study, a little bit of homework, if you look up just more in depth in the word of the significance and what that's been in the uh, word of a robe, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet is beautiful. Um, so you can learn a lot with your father uh, in that. So I just want to say we're not going to get into it today, but if you want to, that'd be great. Okay, so that's first son. Lived in the world, blew everything, engaging in sin, felt unworthy, felt ashamed. He, he didn't want to, he was going to be a servant, basically. And the father's response, compassionate ran to him, clothed him. So that was going on with the first son. Now we're going to look at the second son. Meanwhile, the older son, who was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. That's so like brothers sometimes. <laughs> we get angry. Um, they refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. So you see his father meeting him in that place of anger, meeting in that place of defiance. And he ran to him. He met him um, there and pleaded with him. But, his, but he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you. Look at that word. This is NIV version. All these words I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed the fattened calf for him father's response my son not my slave my son you are always with me and everything I have is yours so reminding him of his sonship reminding him that no matter if he's never disobeyed done all the right things completed all the tasks he's been working super hard He's always with his father. Sometimes the father has to remind us of that. We can go, 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 do, 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 get all the things done, but we're with him. That it's about being with him in that. That's the whole point. Um, and everything I have is yours. So all of this inheritance, all the young goats, you can have them. They're yours. Um, so I, I just think that's beautiful. So to recap, first son, Shame, unworthiness, forfeited his right as a son. Father's response, filled with compassion, ran and embraced, clothed and feasted. And then second son, angry, slaving, never disobeyed, critical, 
um, religious spirit. And again, think about who Jesus is talking to. So tax collectors, sinners, first son, Pharisees, second son, what's going on there? Jesus, you're good. Okay, so both sons, they are operating as slaves rather than sons, but they displayed it in different ways. So my question is, where at in our lives are we operating in those areas? And where does the Lord want to meet us, want to run to us, want to remind us that he's with us and be in relationship with us? And ultimately, it's not about what they didn't do or what they did. It's about the Father. Like, it's his covenant that he's initiated. It's his job as the father to provide for his children it's what he's calling them into not about what they did or what they didn't do it's not about us that's the thing it's about the covenantial love that the father displayed to these kids drawing both of the sons closer to him micah 7 18 says who is a god like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So this is our Father. Faithful. Faithful to forgive. Faithful not to stay angry. Faithful to show mercy. Hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Because he's our covenant keeper. So mercy, this is Micah 7.18. Mercy, the Hebrew word is chesed. If ever you need a cough or get a little bit of that going, it's chesed. Um, and it's one of my favorite words. It means covenant love. It means loving kindness. It means unfailing mercy is what it says in here, but that's who God is. And a lot of times when chesed is used, it's talking about a covenant. The connection, the unfailing, everlasting thing that we have with our Father. That he has pursued us. He has initiated relationship with us. He has put a ring on our finger. It says, have a covenant with us. And that's what I wanted to bring up about my hunk over there. <laughs> he initiated a covenant with me when I didn't even know. He was, he sought me out. He was scheming and planning to get my attention and pursue me. He was faithful in his pursuit. He was honoring and said that I was worthy to be in relationship with him forever. But that's just a little example of the covenant love that our Father has for us. It's everlasting. It's eternal. Even when we weren't seeking him out while we were still sinners, he was chasing after us. <sighs> Jesus. So we can see both of these sons were caught up in other things besides their sonship and embracing the covenantial love of their father. The core beliefs these sons were rooted in was a slave mentality but displayed in different ways. They were focused on their actions and themselves rather than the Father. Let's dive into these two areas that we can fall into that keep us from intimacy with the Father. Number one, I'm going to kind of lump it into a, co a cohort. Shame, unworthiness, fear, hiding. 
And number two, striving, performance, work-based, critical, religious spirit, whatever you want to call it. Um, so first, we're going to look at shame, unworthiness, and hiding, which was going on with the first son. So first time shame is used in the Bible, it's Genesis 2.25. And this was God had created Adam, given him his role, given him some things to do, embraced relationship with him, and said, you know what, you can have everything, but just don't eat this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, but it's not good that you're alone, so let me give you your helpmate, let me give you your lady. And so he created Eve, and Adam and Eve were both naked, this is Genesis 2.25, and they felt no shame. So the first time it's used is there was no shame present. This is what it's supposed to look like between us and our spouse, but between us and the Lord. Fully bare, fully known, fully transparent with nothing in the way. No ounce of shame, hiding, coverage, bonding, anything. Just free with him. So shame in the Hebrew is the word bush, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, it means anxious, confounded, or utterly dejected. So the Lord is saying there was none of that, that that's the intention of what it's supposed to be. And then the enemy had to show up in Genesis 3. Uh, we're going to look at that next and see how they had fallen into that. So another lengthy, I don't think there's a slide for it, but I'll just read it. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? You hear his tone? Did God really say? Just a little bit of deceit, a little bit of doubt, whatever little wedge he can try to put in. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, so good, pleasing, and desirable, how the enemy likes to lure us away, for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So now shame has entered the scene. Naked in this position where they once were, but now they're hiding. Now they're covering themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to the man, where are you? Like the Lord didn't know. Like he was the one asking for himself. No, he was asking to help them realize where they were separated. They were far away. The Lord teach us, teaches us a lot in questions. 
where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who were you listening to besides me? Whose voice have you submitted to besides mine? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, so funny, blame. (laughs) The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? Again, blame. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So you could see how then listening to another voice, being lured away by something that looked good, something that looked pleasing, something that looked desirable, led them ultimately to be deceived, causing them to shame, causing them to feel shame, to be hidden from God, separated from God. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. But be encouraged. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a hallelujah? Woo! Okay, sorry. Let me calm down. Um, John 8 is an example of this, the woman that was caught in adultery. So there she is in an extremely shameful, humiliating moment with a man that she was not supposed to be with, publicly humiliated, drawn out in front of the group, and her punishment under the law was to be stoned to death. Like, that was her rightful punishment under the law of Moses. And so here she is getting ready to receive her punishment, publicly ashamed, and Jesus steps on the scene, and he basically says, all right, go ahead, throw your stone, those that are without sin. Nobody could. Only him. He's the only one without sin. But his response was, where are your accusers to the woman? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. The only one rightful to condemn her. Go and sin no more. So we see how Jesus is displaying his love, his forgiveness, but also his conviction. That's different than condemnation. Very, very different. He says, I don't, I'm not putting you to shame. I'm not accusing you, but don't do that. But go and sin no more. Leave this lifestyle that's leading to destruction, that's leading to separation from me. That's what shame, that's what sin does. It leads us down a path that separates us from God. So he's like, yes, I forgive you, but don't engage in that anymore. It's not good for you. I know what's good for you. Yes, okay. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. 
Jesus died a humiliating, shameful death on that cross. He became our shame. He took it on himself and defeated it so that we don't, that in him we're defeated. He's defeated that in us, in him. It's just beautiful. He scorned the shame. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus scorning its shame, shameful death for us to be liberated from that very thing. So just like the first son, we can fall into this too. Disobeying, being deceived by something good or pleasing. It's easy sometimes in our human nature without the Lord. Um, But there's freedom. There's freedom in that. And there's no condemnation. But an invitation to be close with him again today. So also I just wanted to make, this is the counselor in me, point about shame. Sometimes it's not necessarily what you've committed or what you've done, but what somebody's done to you can also make you feel very shamed in situations of abuse or trauma or things like that. You can now be the one um, feeling shame for something that was done to you. And so if that's the case, there's healing for that too. So I just want to throw that out there. Okay, son number two. How are we doing? Good? Okay. Good. Son number two, striving, critical, works-based, religious, etc. You guys know the drill. Luke, back to the scripture of what the second son said in Luke 15, 29. I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Man. He was doing his thing. Um, So that word slaving, NIV says slaving. The Greek is dual uo. I don't know, Bertie, if I'm pronouncing Greek. I'm more of a Hebrew girl, but dual uo. uh, And it means, listen to this, to serve as a slave, not as a son, serve as a slave, and having all personal ownership rights assigned to the owner. So in other words, he was acting out of a place of, I don't have rights here. I don't have an inheritance here. Those rights belong to my father, and they're not connected to me. So now that's interesting when you think about how the father responded to him and said, my son, everything I have is yours. He had to remind him, this is your inheritance. You are not a slave. You are a son. So... And then he said, I'm never disobeying your orders. So he was obeying, but without the closeness of relationship. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He goes on to say in 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. So tying it in with love, our response is obedience out of his love. Slaves obey out of obligation. Sons obey out of love. So if ever you find yourself doing the things without relationship, just take a moment with him and rest. So slaves obey out of obligation. 
Sons obey out of love. All right, we're going to look at the Pharisee a little bit, because that's who Jesus was talking to. So the Pharisee, if you're not familiar with them, very good at keeping the law. They loved the law above everything else. They made sure if you were not keeping the law, you were going to hear about it. Um, very sound in the law, very strict in their faith. So the word Pharisee is derived from an Aramaic term, paros, which actually means to divide and separate. So essentially a separatist. And their goal was to be separated from sin. But rather, the law was held so high to them, it caused them to be separated from the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Jesus had a lot of words about the Pharisees. There's lots of scripture in it. We're going to look at a little bit of that. Oh, help us, Lord. Uh, Matthew 23, 1 through 4. Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So practice and observe everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they pe preach. Oops. They tie up heavy, burdensome loads and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Goes on to say in 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let in those who wish to enter. So they're making it difficult keyword they, are making it difficult for people to come to the Father, to enter the kingdom. There's 613 commands. This is the only way. And it caused heaviness, burdensome. The spirit of religion is heavy. It wears you out. It's taxing. You, you're not close to the Father because you got to do all these things to get there. But it ties up heavy, burdensome loads. Like, if you're worn out, that's not the intent of our relationship with him. Like, he gives us his, his presence, his spirit that's empowering. His burden is easy, and his yoke is light. It's not meant to be something that you have to live your whole life earning and performing and striving for. He also says, be careful of the yeast, or leaven. He says in Mark eight fifteen, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, not of Herod. So Bible Hub describes yeast as leaven, figuratively speaking, the spreading influence of what is typically concealed, or leaven is generally a symbol of spreading nature of evil, corruption, hypocrisy. So be careful of getting puffed up and drawn away from the Lord. That's what that does. Pride will puff you up. Knowledge will puff you up if it's not submitted and rooted in just knowing the Father. So if you want to continue, you can find a lot more scripture and encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees. So in their attempts to keep the law, they miss the one who is standing right in front of them there to fulfill it. Their Messiah, their coming King. So how often do we find ourselves working for the Lord rather than resting? 
I know I'm not the only one. Criticizing others or criticizing him, coming into church, well, I didn't like this, well, this, you know, it's endless. We're doing the right things, but with the wrong, wrong motive, like the second son. He was connected to the tasks, but separated in relationship with the father and with his inheritance. But be encouraged. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when he set time, when the set time had fully come, Jesus sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's our inheritance. Romans 8, 14 through 15 is very similar, but I'm going to read it anyway. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is where we belong. Sons, daughters, co-heirs with Christ, seated in heavenly places. So all that is his is ours through Jesus. That means freedom. That means peace. That means boldness, authority, healing. That's ours through Jesus. Do I have any practical people in the house? Yes. Here's a practical tool we're going to go over because, yes, I like practical things. Okay, our practical tool. So we are going to talk about when the accuser comes to tempt us to say, you're not God's son. You're not God's daughter. Did God really say that you're free? Did God really say that my grace is sufficient? You know, um, so we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with the temptation of the accuser with his identity. So we do have a slide, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. But I'm going to read real quickly context right before the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, what was going on. So Matthew 3, 16 through 17 says... As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So according to the book of Matthew, in this order, right before Jesus was led into the wilderness, he was publicly affirmed by the Father that he is his Son, that he is loved and he is pleased. Then he was led 
into the wilderness. Yeah, there we go. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After, 40, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. So there's that if. There's that did God really say. So God just publicly affirmed him and said, This is my son. And now the enemy's like, If? Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered with an it. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if ever you're hearing an it or if with doubt, whatever it is, you say, no, it is written. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Here it is again. If you are the son of God. He said, throw yourself down, for it is written, now here's the enemy trying to use God's word against Jesus, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. So here's the tactic of what's desirable. Splendors, all the kingdoms, all these things. I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So we see Jesus, it is written, it is written, away from me so sometimes you just have to say that's enough no bye i've had enough of you we rebuke you satan i just flick them off like this um we've had enough so it is written it is written away from me satan it is written so in your moments of doubt of weakness of whatever the enemy is trying to do to set you off track no it is written Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It is written that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I am a daughter. I am a co-heir with Christ. That's enough. I don't know how y'all's relationship is, but um, that's how we handle it in our home. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so practical tool. It is written. It is written. As much spiritual as it is practical, it is written. Stand on God's word. Where's the band? If y'all want to go ahead and make your merry little way as I close. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to step into a time of response. And this isn't dismissal quite yet, but if you need to go, you're free to go. But we wanted to give a time for our Father to embrace us, to pour himself out and love on us. And so I'll share a little bit of my story. I can relate with both of these sons. Um, It's not one more than the other. They both, I can see those tendencies. Um, Growing up, lost, broken, sense of purity and innocence lost at a young age that caused shame to enter 
watching parents get divorced, a slave to the world is what I would call it, bound, living a life of shame and humiliation and just, okay, here, I'll give you myself and this and just pour myself out to anything that wasn't Jesus and was so humiliated by that. But I was bound. I couldn't get myself free. And I remember the moment I encountered Jesus' forgiveness, like really, really, really. I was in this prayer room by myself with him. And it was kind of like Ezekiel moment where I like tangibly just felt him rush at my ankles. And I was on my knees before I knew it. Before, and all the way down, laying down and just felt like he was like baptizing me by his spirit to say, I love you. I have forgiven you. I have washed you by my blood. I don't hold anything against you. Where are your accusers? You're mine. I chose you before I put you in your mother's womb. It's just beautiful. Like, that's what he wants to do. He wants to pour out his forgiveness on us. And then I was like, okay, I received that, but maybe I got to earn it. Maybe I got to make it up somehow and get plugged into everything and start serving and give and read my Bible religiously and do all these things. I'm going to earn it, God. That's what we can fall into, still operating as a slave, not resting in the freedom that he had as my father. Took me on a journey of finding rest in him of saying, I don't care, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are and you're mine. It's about whose you are, you're mine. And liberated the heavy load of works-based. He's good, guys. He wants that for us. He wants that for all of us. Sometimes it's a journey, but don't we want a journey with him in that? So again, back to the declaration. Today is a day of freedom. Today is a day of healing, of deliverance. So I want to invite you guys to respond however that looks for you with the Lord, however that looks with your father. Maybe you don't know him as father and you want to. Today is a good day for that. Maybe you need to sit there with him and say, Lord, is there any areas of where I'm bound, operating as a slave and not as your child. Prayer team, you guys can come up. We want to stand with you because we're, we're a family in this place and we need help sometimes to be encouraged with one another. So however, I'm going to pray and then however it looks for you guys to draw close to the one who is drawing close to you. So, Father, thank you for your word. It is written that we are your sons and daughters. It is written that your spirit testifies in us that we are yours. The very spirit that searches your depths searches ours as your children. So I thank you for that right now. I rebuke any orphan spirits any slave mentality, shame, and unworthiness, you have to go now. Any spirit of religion, critical spirit, you have to go now in Jesus' name. For we declare that the sons and the daughters are free in the name of Jesus today. 
speak to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray.